Good morning, this is Bakes, Kevin Baker with Bakes Takes. Welcome to my podcast. Uh, I'm going to talk about this rally that we're seeing right now, the a new idea that came out of uh, my chart work this week, and um, uh, removing emotion from investments and uh, how that can benefit you greatly, in my opinion. And I'll tell you why I do this. Uh, I've got 30 years experience as a portfolio manager, an equity analyst, and I've gotten in the habit of, uh, of, of reading uh, Barron's and The Economist and The Journal and all these things. I listen to podcasts. I go through my, my chart service. Uh, there's oh, 1,700 ETFs out there. I go through all of them virtually every week. Did so this week. And my sons were business majors in college, they would ask me questions and then their friends would learn that I knew something about financial markets and, and what have you. And they'd ask me uh, questions as well. And now I'm formalizing this. To put it bluntly, I uh, uh, read all these things and devour all these things so that in a half hour, you know what's going on with money and markets and you don't have to do all, all the things that I do. I hope it adds value. And you tell me where I do and do not add value. So let's get right into it, okay? Um, went through all the ETFs this week, 1,700 of them. Uh, uh, in particular, I always look at the S&P 500 uh, first, just it's the indicator for the U.S. And people are getting very excited about this rally. It could be something important. What I am drawn towards is the volume, the volume, the pink volume that you see here. Um, uh, and if you're listening, please go to my YouTube channel, see the, the video where we, we, we put all these charts up there in front of you. The volume is light on the up days. So on the down days, the volume picks up, it gets above average, and then on the rallies, the volume recedes. And that just shows you there isn't a lot of intense buying pressure in the S&P 500. There's a lot of resistance in the SPY, the, uh, the S&P 500 ETF anywhere from here to 300. If we get above 300, I get more excited. I know that sounds paradoxical, but so be it. Um, and I also wanted to point out something else. The economy is not the stock market. People are, 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 are listening to all this dreadful news about unemployment and GDP and what have you, and they're saying, well, why, why is the stock market going up? Well, first of all, it's going up for a couple of weeks. So if you go down 33% and you bounce uh, uh, 33%, you're not making money. So a rally here makes a lot of sense. And the economy is not the stock market. They're completely divorced. And the stock market is a discounting mechanism that predicts what the economy is going to be doing down the road. So please keep that in mind. This past week, uh, a great podcast that I listened to, Masters in Business, put out by Bloomberg. Barry Ritholtz is a terrific host. He interviewed Jim Chanos. Jim Chanos is probably the most uh, famous short seller that is out there. Uh, briefly, selling stock short is simply uh, buying low, selling high, but reversing the chronology. So you can go borrow the shares, sell the stock higher, anticipate that it's going to decline in value, and, uh, and, and buy it back lower. So that's how I explain it for, for my dad. At 23 minutes, the whole podcast is worthwhile, but at 23 minutes, Jim... Uh, uh, explains that the analyst estimates for the S&P 500 earnings started this year at $170. And now with everything that's gone on, the 2021 next year's estimate is, is back to $170. 
anticipating a, uh, a recovery that's pretty remarkable given that we're still reopening the economy gradually with different geographies uh, as we progress. So I think looking at that dollar seventy, sorry, that hundred and seventy dollars in two thousand twenty-one is probably optimistic, and uh, I'd be very surprised if two thousand twenty-one earnings are going to be equal to two thousand nineteen. Uh, uh, the twenty-one percent corporate tax rate—that's uh, 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 a big reason for the for the increase in earnings. Uh, if you, he points out that if, if the tax rate goes up to thirty-five percent, where it was. That that 170 number comes down to 135. So it suggests that the stock market, even with interest rates this low, probably isn't as inexpensive as some would lead you to believe. The uh, corporations are leveraged. Taxes are about as low as possible. Margins are as high as possible. Revenue growth has been poor. It simply uh, suggests that the, again, the rally that we've seen is probably ahead of itself, in my opinion. Mike, can you please pull up uh, EUM? Absolutely. This is the ProShares Short MSCI Emerging Markets uh, uh, ETF. That's a mouthful, but uh, my eye is drawn to this. We've, we, the stock has declined from $120 down to a low of uh, roughly 16 and change. Uh, big rally, and then we're, we're forming a base here. I think if it gets above $20 on above average volume, it's going to be very intriguing. The uh, What this does is it shorts the MSCI Emerging Market Index. Uh, the top three countries, China is 40%, Taiwan is 12%, Korea is 12%, so roughly two-thirds of those three countries. And uh, the top three stocks are Alibaba, Tencent, and uh, uh, Taiwan Semiconductor. And... A couple of points. Number one, this does not use leverage. I don't want you to invest in ETFs that do use leverage. Uh, investing is tough enough as it is, and you don't need to borrow money to to create greater whipsaws than, than the, the market is already going to uh, bring to bear. And uh, I'm intrigued by the volume picking up on the up days. This kind of goes into the S&P discussion that we had earlier. And then the, uh, the, the down days, the volume recedes, and you can see the up volume, these blue lines picking up here. And um, again, if uh, the uh, emerging markets, kind of like our market, go up for 11 years, I don't think they go down just for two or three. Uh, so if this retraces any percentage of that move from 120 down to here, I think we can make a, a tremendous amount of money. And... Uh, 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 please stay tuned. I, I think this is going to be very intriguing. Can I can I ask you a question? Fire what, what is the what is the why is the volume such a critical element to investing? Uh, for for me, what, why is that so important? Great great point. Uh, my whole uh, focus on technical analysis, reading charts, it comes from 1987. And uh, uh, what I realized at that point that I didn't know what I was doing and a lot of analysts on Wall Street didn't know what they were doing. And I read everything I possibly could. I read every book uh, and I was drawn towards uh, technical analysis. And I devoured everything I could, I could come up with. And time and time again, there are certain patterns that appear. And uh, my eye has just been drawn over the years to volume. It usually, it's... it's uh, uh, 
it just shows that that people are voting with their wallets and there's an enthusiasm of buying power that propels the stocks higher and so it doesn't nothing works 100% of the time but i just find that when i ha- see a pattern like this with volume picking up it means something is going on another point um uh this is only one ETF, but underneath that is 1,400 different stocks. So it's incredibly diversified. Your risk is diversified. Um, and if the uh, if anything that you own goes down 10, 15%, I think you should get out and, and, uh, and cut your losses short. Uh, Mike Jerry from Pittsburgh uh, emailed me this week, asked to explain options, and I thought using uh, Mark Cuban's masterful use of them uh, would be would be helpful. The uh, Mark Cuban is the owner of the Dallas Mavericks, uh, Shark Tank uh, TV star, and he became a billionaire by selling broadcast.com to Yahoo back in the late 90s. For uh, the whole company was 5.7 billion dollars. His part of this is, was 1.4 billion dollars. And here's what he did: He owned 1.46 uh, million shares of Yahoo at a value of 95 dollars per share. He's obviously concerned with uh, the downside, but he wants to participate in the upside. So here's what he did: He bought 146,000 put options with an $85 strike. What that means simply is that each option is 100 shares and it enables you to sell the stock at $85 no matter what happens. The other side of it is he sold 146,000 call options with a $205 strike. A call allows the owner of the call to buy a stock at a certain price at a certain time, in this case, $205. So this is a costless caller, meaning the premium for the puts offset the premium for the, for the, the call. And the, uh, he was, uh, the downside was, was capped at $85. The upside was capped at $205, which was hit which is why he has $3 billion and he has the Dallas Mavericks. So I hope that explained options. If I can clarify that in, in future episodes, please let me know. Oh, and by the way, Yahoo, just to show you how crazy the world is, went on to uh, rise to 475 and was the most valuable company in the world in uh, January of, uh, of 2000. I personally have not met anybody long-term who's traded options well. I'm sure they're out there, but I've never seen it. Uh, you need to get both the stock price and the timing correct, and I think that's very tough to do. Please proceed with caution and, and use small amounts of money to start. I appreciate that. Uh, many commentators talk about underperformance and outperformance, and institutional investors care about this. I don't think individuals should. I think you should be concerned about not losing money and making money. In the institutional world, if you outperform, you get to keep your job. Uh, if you underperform for two years, you probably lose your job. The, but it's not very satisfying, for example, in 08, to be down 35% and outperform when the index is down 40%. So when you hear those words, I want your, your, to, your uh, uh, senses to go up a little bit and uh, uh, 
you know, focus on absolute performance, making money. That's what I think you should do. Uh, we're in the midst of earnings season right now. Everybody uh, is, is reporting. And uh, there's a dynamic that, that goes on that I think might be helpful to, to, to share. Uh, under-promising and over-delivering is what uh, we as investors, especially institutional investors, uh, like a great deal. Companies will put out uh, uh, often quarterly and, and usually annually a, uh, what they call guidance. So revenues will be X, earnings will be Y. And if you miss the number, the stock usually declines. And if you beat the number, you're usually rewarded. Now, there's lots of variations on that based on where expectations are. But a lot of things have, have been, been changing. The pandemic has caused people, especially managements, to say, we simp- we're going to withdraw guidance because we just can't forecast our business right now. And, and given the, the vagaries of COVID-19, it's understandable. My thought is, is that the, uh, uh, the volatility around earnings reports is probably going to increase dramatically because of the, uh, the, the lack of guidance and the, and the disparate uh, annual assessments that, that are going to be out there. Here's a great example, Shake Shack. Uh, they missed revenues, 143.2 was the actual versus 145.1. Uh, earnings beat uh, uh, two pennies versus versus breaking even. The stock was down at 1.5% uh, when it was first issued and uh, and then finished up 4% when the conference call went better than, than people thought. So um, another example, Amazon. Amazon. Uh, uh, put up a, a tremendous number as you would expect and the uh, and then they uh, mentioned that the four billion dollars profit that they just earned was going to be uh, absorbed by covid i also think this is smart politics and smart tax management that uh if it, I, they're, they're obviously a political target and i think that by uh not benefiting egregiously from the COVID-19 dynamics. I think it's smart to reinvest in the business and, and, uh, and, and keep the politics at bay. Now we talk about my stocks. All right, Mike, let's have it. Let's, let's go. Let's do it. Now we get into my, uh, my investing, and uh, you're going to help me out with this. Fire away. So, uh, so a few years ago, a couple years ago, uh, my brother and I, got uh, uh the robin hood app it started my brother yep. shared it with me he's like hey i can get you a free stock i'm like cool so i signed up and we shared this uh this this app and you know we we did a little bit of investigating uh into different stocks we traded information hey i found this place hey i found that place and you know what we did is we played around for a little while and then at one point i just decided that i was going to buy up some uh popular stock i bought some facebook and uh back when they were about you know 150 i think uh, 154 during the uh, uh when zuckerberg was on the news and then um i got some dividend stocks uh, i got into comcast altria and sfl and my 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 thinking was that oh boy now i just sit on these i'm a long-term investor and i'll just collect dividends each quarter and not really look at it, but I looked at it every day and I had emotions about it and I had fear about selling and when I should get out. And uh, 
I know I, I shared these with you, and I'd love to hear your feedback about those investments and some of your suggestions. Uh, thank you. I appreciate that. Uh, the, the first thing that I was, dra- I was drawn to was uh, uh, HMNY, the, the... Oh, yeah, the, the one I didn't tell you about here. <laughs> the, the, uh, the parent of, of MoviePass. And, uh, uh, you know, whenever you have a stock that, that just hasn't worked, I think taking the tax loss, getting it off the screen, mm-hmm. stop thinking about it, just makes the most sense in the world. Uh, I found that that if I had a uh, a problem child stock, I would spend eighty percent of my time uh, trying to to justify you know why it was going to be be rallying, and uh, it doesn't rally, especially in the case of Movie Pass. So you know I encourage you to just take that off the screen, take yeah. the tax loss, and then if you have profits elsewhere, they'll get they'll they'll absorb the that that. Uh, those taxable gains, mm-hmm. and um, uh, I, I, I just think it frees up capital and it frees up psychological capital. Yes, and I think that's helpful. So HMNY is gone. Thank you. Thank Sold. you. See you later. Okay. Sold. All right. Uh, SFL is an oil stock. Oil's dreadful, mm. and and uh, uh, there are uh, oils at twenty dollars. It's uh, there's there's all sorts of anecdotes about uh, tankers right off the coast that are storing oil. Uh, oil's going to be tough for a long, long time. I, I I cut my teeth investing in oil in the '90s. The uh, it just is not. We're not there yet. Okay. We're not there. I would, right. I, would, I would get rid of that. Altria, uh, Jewel is a disaster, and I think that has to go. And I don't like Comcast. You have. Uh, an affinity for it i don't you know i and i'm just i'm simply uh looking at at chart patterns and yeah. when, when i see uh, a stock decline through the 200 day and close there i want to sell a third when the 50 day comes down through the 200 i want to sell another third and by the time the 200 declines i want to i want to go want out and yeah. by the way you know this has been going up for you know eight nine years so that's a that's a long-term holding yeah and uh, I just think that, that with advertising revenue doing what it's going to be doing and the competition in streaming services, this is going to be a tough, a tough slog. I guess I just feel like, uh, you know, and again, this is where the emotion investing comes in, right? Like, mm-hmm. I, think, I think I have this, this idea that, you know, Comcast has been around forever. It's a staple. I think people, are, you know, they're, they're switching to the cord cutting. But, uh, you know, I feel like Comcast is going to step up and do their own thing. Uh, and they're going to be a competitor in that market. But again, that's a guess. I have no idea. I have no no insight. That's that's my emotion. And and I I have not read the 10K you know line by line, so I'm not going to kid anybody that I that I have. Uh, I just think it's that simple. All those technical things have happened. Yeah. So the trend has reversed. Yeah. After being up for at least eight nine years, and ad revenue is going to be lousy. It has to be. So my takeaway. Because like I, I pointed out very clearly, and I'm, I'm perfectly comfortable you know, sharing this, I, I, I'm an emotional vet investor. Mm-hmm. And rather than being an emotional investor, if I intend to make any money or if I intend to save any money or do anything in this, that it would be, it would be better for me to look at the trends and the charts and focus on the facts rather than my feelings, right? Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. And what I'm probably going to be, uh, you know, I'm going to be looking at EUM every day. Mm-hmm. And at some point, I'm going to say, I want you to buy the EUM. Okay. 10% of the portfolio. Yep. 
but diversified with 1,400 stocks yep. and completely uncorrelated or, or certainly less correlated to the U.S. economy and the U.S. stock market. Right. And I think it's going to be a winner. Okay. And I, and the number of people that you encounter that are going to be be uh, long EUM and, and shorting China, Taiwan, right, Korea, that's going to be a, a unique trade, okay. in my opinion. In well, my opinion. Well, I appreciate you assessing my stocks and helping thanks, me. Thanks for, for being open. I appreciate yeah. it. I well, really emotional do. investing, as you pointed out at the beginning of the episode, seems problematic, and it's probably more common than just me doing it. I imagine a lot of people do it. So, uh, you know, tied to their money, fear of losses, trying to recoup losses by holding on to a stock, waiting for it to come back. I mean, yeah. that's a uh, hope's a four-letter word. It is when it comes to this. It's not an investing strategy. When it right? comes to this, yeah. When it comes to this. <laughs> well, thank you. Delighted, delighted, and um, I came across this again. It's been around a while, but this is Ray Dalio's. Uh, if, you, if you go to the, the show notes, we have a link to the YouTube. And uh, it's a, just a great summary of how the economy works. And uh, it's a half hour, great use of your time, in my opinion. Ray Dalio is the, the CEO of Bridgewater Associates, uh, brilliant investor, prolific author. And uh, I, I just I suggest that, you, that if you have an interest in digging into this subject, uh, uh, He's a very good teacher, and it's it's half hour that I think is is uh, terrific. Uh, another one, Bill Ackman, another uh, famed hedge fund investor. Uh, he teaches everything you need to know about finance. Again, it's half an hour, and it goes into uh, below the economy level, but at the at the industry and company level. And I th- just think it's a a, a great uh, summary of, uh, of of how s- stocks work and how companies work. And I, I, I just encourage you to, to, uh, to look at that. Uh, this is from Barron's uh, last week. Randall Forsyth uh, uh, wrote this. And I, was, I think it was a great summation of what's going on. Uh, he interviews Julian Brigden, the chief economist of, of macro intelligence. And he describes it, Julian does, Everyone appears is, is everyone it appears is struggling to balance appalling fundamental fundamentals versus a torrent of liquidity. That's pretty much it. the 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 economy is uh, is in shambles. Unemployment is screaming. Uh, 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 the, the the GDP is contracting, but and then, but the Fed is doing everything it can to prop up. The economy, the banking system, financial assets, and the old adage is "Don't fight the Fed," and uh, they've got a printing press. So I sure hope this works. But that's the tug of war we have: the economy's lousy, earnings are lousy, but the Fed is going to save the day. And uh, I, I hope it's right. I hope they're right. Um, but interest rates are at zero. It's going to be difficult to to um, uh, you know do much more from an interest rate standpoint here, but that's the tug of war that we go through. Uh, William Cohan from Vanity Fair was on CNBC this past week. I have the YouTube link here, and again, it's all about the Fed. Uh, he calls it rescue capitalism, a morphine drip. Uh, the the uh, the Fed interestingly has not bought high yield. Debt, as far as I know, but the fact that they said that they would and can has has stabilized the junk bond market. Uh, interest rates there went from five percent to eleven and a half, and now they settled back in at seven and change. 
Um, but let's not kid ourselves. Uh, moral hazard exists. This is not free market capitalism. Uh, people are being bailed out by the Fed left and right, and the implications of this will be resounding for years and years and years. Um, please subscribe, review, and share my Bakes Takes podcast on Apple, Spotify, uh, your preferred platform. Please also subscribe to my Bakes Takes YouTube channel. The audio is the same, but the charts that I reference are on the screen. Please follow us on Twitter, at BakesTakes underscore, and other social media. Please use your voice memo app, tape your questions, and email to bakes at bakestakespodcast.com or write if you prefer. I also will keep this anonymous if you'd like. Thank you for listening. Mike Wilson is my producer. Have a great week, and please uh, look at uh, these these two positive uh, videos that I've shared. One is uh, the dad reacts to his son's first home run and uh, some much-needed levity with the Scar Brothers dueling Stephen A. Smith. Take care. It's hard not to go from the uh, dueling Iversons right into dueling Stephen A. Smiths. That's, That's just one step away. They're right next to each other on the cul-de-sac of crazy. Uh, I love Stephen A. Smith. We both love him. If you don't know who he is, he's a very bombastic ESPN sports pundit. He's on all those arguing shows. Here's why we love Stephen A. Smith. Uh, Stephen A. Smith always runs out of breath with eight things left to say. <laughs> and instead of like a normal person breathing, he just powers through that shit to the end of the sentence. Every time. Now, he knows a lot of athletes. He's going to tell you how he was just talking to those athletes the night before. But our favorite thing, and this is so small, but our favorite thing is sometimes he'll drop what technology he was using. It's brilliant. us, it's hilarious. One time I heard him say, last night I was Skyping with Kobe Bryant, and we all sat down. We started talking about the Lakers. What about? What? I don't know what you're talking about. I have about. no idea. I lost three words of your sentence. So did, I. did your mic drop out? No What's idea. What's going on? Then I shut that computer, open up another computer. I got Marcus all and Paulus all and Steve Nash together on a go-to meeting. We all started talking about the Lakers. I'm like, come on, man. When did First Take become a Chaplin movie? I have no idea. <laughs> then I took out a Ouija board. I got in touch with Will Chamberlain. I'm like, come on, man, you did. How did the Lakers? Don't have Dwight Howard. Don't have just... Come on, skip. <laughs> Then I got a tomato can, I connected a string to another tomato can, at the other end of the tomato can was Kiki Mandoway. I said, man, from a GM perspective, help out the lake. <laughs> Same joke, five times. Uh, we literally can't stop. Can't Shame do it. Us.
Don't feel bad for Stephen A. Smith, though. He is a millionaire. Yes. He is—he was born at the right time, in a very Malcolm Gladwellian way. He was born at the right time. That's right. Okay, if he was born 40 years earlier, he wouldn't be a millionaire. No, he'd be a crazy guy on a street corner yelling about the civil rights movement. In the exact same way. Last night, I was on a rotary phone. I was talking to Abby Hoffman about the Chicago 7. I'm like, you got three people doing the work of seven people like the Lakers in 2013. <laughs> what are we talking about, Skip? And I sat down on the bus next to Rosa Parks. I looked her dead in the eye. I said, while we talking about buses, what's going to happen in 50 years when Dr. Jerry Bus die? Who's going to make the decision for the Lakers? What am I talking about? <laughs> Meanwhile, how crazy would it be if on that day when Rosa Parks was on the bus, Stephen A. Smith sat down next to her and started arguing with her? I feel like she would have been like, you know what? I'm going to walk. Honestly, I... fuck it. What's so great about the bus, really, <laughs> right. guys? Pick your battles. That's the lesson we learned today.